Hey, this is Micah Bosworth. I'm the pastor here at Ridgepoint, and this is our sermon podcast. I wanted to thank you for joining us today. Hope this is an encouragement to you. Hope it helps to build your faith. And I hope it helps you to see that God is working in your life. Enjoy the message. Hebrews chapter 11, and uh, we took a break, but uh, two weeks ago we covered Enoch. And as we've just been traveling through this portion of scripture, we're seeing these examples of faith that the writer of Hebrews gave, the writer of Hebrews gave us from the Old Testament to his audience, the Hebrew Christian, the Jewish Christians that were, uh, that he knew. He wrote this to them in order to help them see that living a life of faith is truly the way that the righteous live. It's the way they roll, as we said that first week. It's the way that we operate is by faith. And he's now giving these examples of how that takes place. And today, we're in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 7, seeing the story of a man by the name of Noah. The Bible says this, it says, By faith Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness, which is by faith. Let's go ahead and uh, ask the Lord to speak to us, and then we'll dive into it. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you so much, God, for this new day that we have to come before you and to be able to worship and praise your name. And uh, Lord, as uh, was just prayed a moment ago, just be out in your creation, being able to see the beauty of it and see uh, your handiwork as a result. And God, we pray that you would just be with us in these few moments as we look to your word. God, would you speak to us, grow us, and challenge us through it. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. In my, uh, in my teen years, there was a, a very popular movie uh, by the name of High School Musical. How many of you know this movie? All right. This, uh, it, it was really formative to a lot of the people my age at the time. And um, one of the reasons was there was this premiere song in the middle of the movie where they're all in the cafeteria and they're trying to figure out uh, what they want to do with their lives. Some of them ha- that were uh, in the athletics uh, department have now decided that they want to sing in the drama club and, and things like that. And uh, what ends up happening as a result is there's people just all of a sudden confessing what they want to do outside of what their normal friend group does. So there's like, uh, there's a guy who uh, plays in athletics who wants to bake creme brulees. And there's uh, a uh, nerd who wants to break dance instead, you know, things like that. And they're, they're singing this song where all of their friends are telling them, uh, stick to the stuff you know stick to the status quo. That was the song, the status quo. Stick to the status quo. And I remember a preacher telling us as young people that the world uh, would often tell us as Christians, similar to that, that we should uh, not be as countercultural as the Bible seems to be. That we should just stick to the status quo of the world or go with the flow of culture, is how it was often said. Go with the flow. Just whatever culture is doing, go with the flow. Follow along with it. And I remember... My youth pastor at one point saying, the truth is about that, though, that any dead fish can go with the flow. That's what he said. Any dead fish can go with the flow of the stream. But it takes a living fish, a dedicated fish, who's willing to work to go against the stream. 
And uh, it reminds me of Romans 12 and uh, verse 2 where it says, Be not conformed to the pattern of this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. And that takes faith. Uh, not only that, it takes faith that works. And that's what we're going to see in the life of Noah. Uh, that we've, if in Abel we saw a worshiping faith, and in Enoch we saw a walking faith, what we see in Noah is a working faith. Uh, similar to what James told us in the book of James, that faith without works is dead. Faith, true faith, is going to have works that come about as a result. Any person of faith can go with the flow if their faith is dead, but real faith in God will produce works, and as uh, we'll see in the life of Noah, will be counter to the sinful culture around us. But remember, uh, that all of these examples of faith are in the Old Testament, right? So let's go all the way back to Noah's story. Genesis chapter 6 is where we're going to be uh, for uh, a good portion of, and I'll reference back to the Hebrews verse uh, as we go through. But Genesis chapter 6 is where we find the story of Noah. And I want us to notice, first of all, about Noah, that Noah walked with God. Noah walked with God, similar to what we saw with Enoch walking with God. In Genesis chapter 6 and verse number 9, it says this. It says, these are the generations of Noah. Noah was a just man and perfect in his generations. And Noah walked with God. It tells us Noah was righteous before God and he was blameless before men. And he was able to be those things because he was walking with with God. He was on the same page as God. Uh, what, what's interesting is in the context, though, of which he was walking with God. In the context of which Noah was walking with God, similar to Enoch, was in a time of wickedness. Look at the first few verses, Genesis chapter 6, verse 1 through 8. This is what it tells us about the time that Noah was living. And it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, and daughters were born unto them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were fair. And they took them wives of all which they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he also is flesh. Yet his day shall be a hundred and twenty years. There were giants in the earth in those days, and also after that, when the sons of God came in unto the daughters of men, and they bare children to them, the same became mighty men, which were of old men of renown. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he had made, the man, made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. And the Lord said, I'll destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast and creeping thing and the fowls of the air, for it repenteth me that I have made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. <clears throat> Noah, he was walking with God when no one else was. He's walking with God when no one else was. He was marching out of step with the culture because he was walking to a different cadence call. Like we talked about with Enoch, that walking with God is uh, walking in step with the cadence call that is being given. And Noah was walking out of step with the culture because he was walking in step with, to a different uh, drumbeat, to a different cadence call. See, the world... At this time, it had seen an increase of population. If you look at the lifespan of some of the people on the earth at this time, some of them were living easily to 900 years old. Methuselah, the oldest one, lived to 969 years. So think about that. That's a lot of lifespan to procreate. That's a lot of lifespan to procreate in. Uh, and so you can have a lot of babies over that lifespan. So there's an increase in population. Some scholars 
have estimated that there could be about one billion people on the earth at this time. And uh, what, what we see in Genesis 6 is that out of all of those people, there's one that was walking with God here. There's one that was walking with God, and that's Noah. We also see here that not only was there an increase in population, there was an increase in sexual depravity. It tells us that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were beautiful, and that they took them as wives, and they had children. Now, if I uh, get asked random Bible questions the most, this is the one I get asked the most. Who were the sons of God? All right, there are three possible interpretations. I lean toward one. I'm not going to say where I lean toward because that's not the bulk of this message. But there are three interpretations of this, okay? The sons of God. Uh, one, some would say they're fallen angels who married human women. The reason they say this, sons of God, uh, is often and almost un unilaterally used in the Old Testament to refer to angels, to spirit beings. Um, also in Second Peter and in the book of Jude, it identifies angels with this incident in committing some kind of grave sin. Uh, and the response to that, uh, those that would maybe not hold to that, the response to that would be that angels don't reproduce would be one. Jesus said in, uh, uh, in I think it's the book of Matthew in chapter number 22, uh, if I'm remembering right, that uh, he, he's talking, the Sadducees come and they give that whole ridiculous situation of what if a woman marries someone and, uh, and then he dies and then she gets uh, married to his brother and then he dies and all the, all the way down, all the brothers, whose husband or whose wife is she? And Jesus says this, he says, in the resurrection, people will neither marry nor be given in marriage, but will be like the angels. The idea there is that angels are non-corporeal beings. They're spirit beings. And non-corporeal -corp beings don't mate with corporeal beings and produce offspring, okay? Um, another thing is Nephilim is the same word that's used when the spies go to Canaan. And they see giants in the land. The same Hebrew word there, Nephilim, is used in Numbers 13 and 14. So if they were destroyed in the flood, then why are they back again later? That would just be some of the responses to that. Okay, so the first one would be fallen angels who, are, who married human uh, women. The second thought or interpretation of sons of God would be godly descendants of Seth marrying ungodly women from the line of Cain. Now the response to that is that the term sons of God here, if that's the case, would be an exception to the normative use of the term for angels throughout the whole of the New or the Old Testament. All right, uh, but some would say, well, because it had to be uh, man, men and women, human beings procreating, that's where they come to that interpretation. The third one would be they would think this that there it was rulers who were marrying these women, all right? And um, they may have been controlled by demons or possessed by demons, but that they are simply human rulers who marry women because in ancient literature, the term sons of God is often given to rulers of kingdoms, um, rulers of kingdoms. So the idea then in this interpretation is that these are kings simply wanting to build their harems. The, the problem uh, with this interpretation, some would say, is that term Nephilim, which means giants. Um, but they're also known as, uh, or called men of renown in the passage here. So this interpretation would favor the thought that they're simply talking about powerful, giant-like uh, people in stature. Okay, those types of men. Now, like I said, 
I do lean toward one interpretation, but so as not to get distracted from the actual meat of what this text is telling us, uh, I'll save that conversation for, as we call them, the after parties of our small group discussions, all right, if you uh, want to talk about that. It's a fun one, but it's not even remotely the main point of the story of Noah. Moses, when writing Genesis, just wrote this part out as a description of the time Noah lived in, but the thrust of the passage is this, Noah, what God did with Noah. But whatever it is, we do know this. It was bad. It was immoral. It was sexual. And it was against God's purpose and design. So simply put, this is what Noah is living in. At the time of Noah, there was a breakdown of the traditional family replaced by a wholesale sexual freedom. That's really what we see taking place here. That, and and it, it, when you even just hear that statement, that sounds familiar, Right? It kind of sounds familiar of the time in which we live. Imagine, though, walking with God in that culture. Walking with God, Noah was, in that uh, promiscuous culture. So there's an increase in uh, population. There was an increase in sexual depravity. There was an increase in wickedness. In uh, verse number 5 of the passage, it says, And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth. It's saying that this is, excuse me, a chronic problem. The Holy Spirit of God is allowing us to see here in this verse what was going on even in the minds of the people. It says that the thoughts and the intents of their heart were evil continually, continually, constantly, without break. They were going from bad to worse. It seems that these people had, uh, as uh, Paul put it in the book of Romans, it seems that these people had been given over to a reprobate mind, that they were constantly intending and thinking upon evil continually. So we see an increase in wickedness. We also see an increase in violence. If you look at verse 9 through 11, it says, These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a just man and perfect in his generations. And Noah walked with God. And Noah begat three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. The earth also was corrupt before God. And the earth was filled with violence. So it tells us that there was an increase in violence at this time as well. And God said in verse 7, he says this, I'm going to destroy it all. It repents, I, I, I am sorry uh, that I have created man. Now, the, that uh, idea there, that's an anthropomorphism, okay? Basically, that's giving us an insight using human emotions and human words to understand how God felt about what decisions that, uh, mankind was making. But it's saying this, that he was ready to destroy it all. And so, except for Noah... There were no God seekers on the earth. And verse 8 says this, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And I love that because that's the first mention of the word grace we see in Scripture. Right there, Noah found grace or favor in the eyes of the Lord. So God, he's going to save Noah, as we're going to see, by lifting him up in a box, essentially. We call it a boat okay, uh, because it floats, all right, but uh, there were no rudders on this thing, so it was essentially a box that floated up, and God is going to save Noah and his family along with him, and as a result of Noah's walk with God, he was warned of something that no one else was warned about. He was the only one that God was talking to. He's the only one that God was talking to here, and the book of Hebrews says it this way, being warned of God of things not seen as yet. You know, those, those that are walking with God, they always seem to have a better grasp on reality and what's going on around them than those who are not walking with God, 
right? When I hear someone say, I wish that I could have peace like so-and-so, or I wish that there was some way to not have so much worry and anxiety at what is going on in the world, I always ask them, first of all, are you reading your Bible? That's like the first thing I ask them. Are you reading your Bible? Um, And if they say yes, my second question is, how much of it? Because uh, if their intake of maybe social media or news sites or anything like that is way more consumption than even of the word of God or of prayer, uh, then those people, then uh, those, that's why there's an imbalance there in their life. Those people that walk with God, they're the ones that have that peace, that have that stability, that, and they have all of that because they are getting a word from the Lord when others are not. That's Noah. He's getting a word from the Lord when others are not because he is walking with God. So we see that Noah walked with God in the midst of an immoral, wicked, violent, and evil world. And that walk with God produced a work for God. So notice what it says again in our uh, verse in Hebrews. It says this, He moved with fear and prepared an ark prepared an ark. Now for for sake of time, we're not going to read all of Noah's story. It covers chapter 6, 7, 8, and some in 9. And I'm going to assume that most of us have a little bit of a working knowledge of the story of Noah, but here's what I will say. God told Noah that he was going to destroy the earth, and he instructed Noah to build an ark, to build a boat, a box really, as I said, because there were no rudders on it. So it tells us that, and it tells us that Noah built an ark when he hadn't seen anything. He hadn't seen what was going to happen yet. He hadn't seen a flood. He hadn't seen rain yet because the world was watered from underneath up to that point. So so God is warning him of something he has never seen. God's warning him of something that he has never actually experienced. And on top of that, he lives a hundred miles away from any ocean. Too far inland and far away from any body of water that you would actually need this size of watercraft for. And God gave him the measurements. He did. He said uh, to use our foot and yard measurements, it'd be about a one and a half football fields long. All right, about 450 uh, feet long. Uh, and, then, uh, and then it's supposed to be about four stories high. In between three and four stories high, uh, this ark was. And it took him 120 years to build it. And I, that's dedication. And when you think about it, 120 years to build it. Some, I, some of you might be saying, man, I've been waiting on God a long time. And I haven't seen the rain. I haven't seen the floods. Look to Noah and remember, 120 years. He didn't see the flood. He didn't see the rain. But he kept working by faith, putting together this ark that God had told him. And also what we find out is that Noah did it as soon as God told him. In verse 22, of chapter number six, it says, thus did Noah according to all that God commanded him, so did he. Right after God told him to do it, he did all of it. He did every single bit of it. Uh, and and uh, what we often do uh, is, is we do some of what God tells us to do, right? You, those people that they, I know God wants me to do this, and then um, they, they follow through with some of it, and they go, well, he didn't work, and so they just quit. But Noah, he did every single bit of it. Really, faith at work, or walking by faith, as we see in Noah's life, involves completely obeying what God calls us to do. So Noah exercised faith in following through with what God said to do. In fact, I think uh, Noah exercised faith 
in the first tree he cut down of gopher wood, in the very first tree that he cut down and started going, he was already exercising faith. And he would spend 120 years obeying God without seeing anything. Now, I don't know this, but I, I can imagine that Noah probably had days where he's cutting down a tree thinking, what, what in the world am I doing? Uh, I, I just imagine him uh, putting the, the ark together and thinking, man, what is going on? I am tired of building this boat. It is taking a long time. But he did it, and he continued to do so for 120 years. And Peter tells us that while doing so, that Noah was a preacher of righteousness, tells us that while he was on the earth, he was a preacher of righteousness. So Noah is chopping down trees by day and going into town and preaching by night. Uh, he, he's going and witnessing. One man said it this way, he worked and he witnessed. He worked and he witnessed. He was not ashamed to display his faith both by his words and by his actions. Think about it. A boat that size in your front yard makes a statement. <laughs> That makes a statement that you have faith in something that God said. Other people look at you and go, what in the world are you doing? That displays faith. He wasn't ashamed to say, I have placed my faith in what God has said. It reminds me of what Paul says in the book of Romans when he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God uh, unto salvation for everyone that believes. So uh, it reminds me of that to say, I'm not ashamed to display my faith both in my words and in my actions. You know, a lot of Christians today, uh, they're unashamed to display their faith in some political candidate in their front yard. They'll, they'll go and say exactly who they're voting for right in their front yard. But then when it comes to declaring their faith in Jesus Christ, sometimes they back away and they, show, they, they would never say, I'm ashamed. But with their actions and with their words, they display that they are, in fact, ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But not Noah. When he was here, he proclaimed his faith and he displayed his faith. He was crystal clear where he stood. He worked, he witnessed, and he walked with God. Hebrews 11 said he did this with fear. He moved with fear. That word fear is a reverence. It's a worship word, to fear God. You know that old song, whistle while you work? Noah worshiped while he worked. He was constantly worshiping God as he uh, was working. He built an ark, the ark in reverence. Then it says he built the ark for the salvation of his family. That he, he did so, he worked to see his family come to belief in God as well. These seven people, he said, are not going to just see me sending them uh, to church, in essence, as we might say it today. They're not just going to see me sending them to church. They're going to see me leading them to church. I'm not just going to pawn off Bible questions to the internet or to the pastor. I'm going to discover the answer myself from what God says, and I'm going to best give them the answer because I see it as a responsibility of mine to bring my family up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, to lead them to Christ. I'm responsible to display my faith in a way that helps them see I believe God and they should too. That was Noah. He, he lived his life in a way that displayed I believe God and he lived that way to, to prove to his family, you should too. You should believe God as well. And we see that in his life. And the book of Hebrews says, as a result, he did so to the saving of his family. And then we see in our verse in Hebrews that his faith also condemned the world. It condemned the world. It, his faith, it warned others. How did he do that? He condemned the world with his work on the ark and with his witness. And then it happened. It happened 120 years later. 
with all the silence, nothing going on, all of a sudden, plop, plop, water coming from the sky. Water uh, falling as they had never seen it before. And Noah said to his family at that point, it's time. I was listening to a preacher preach about Noah this week, and he said, uh, once that rain came down, Noah looked to his family and said, it's time. Mr. Lion said to Mrs. Lion, roar, and <laughs> come this way. And then he said, Mr. Bird said to Mrs. Bird, tweedly dee, tweedly day. It's time to go in to the ark today. And so they uh, went in, and, uh, and all of a sudden it was crystal clear at that moment who was right and who was wrong. Who was right and who was wrong. Uh, it was time to get in the boat. Now, this is interesting to me. Noah was given instruction without knowing how God was going to pull it out. How are we going to get all the animals in the boat? It just said, get all of them there. Uh, how are we going to get all the animals in the ark? In fact, God, you asked me to build a boat, and, uh, and out of all the instructions you gave, you gave me nothing related to navigation. So how will I know where I'm going? In fact, uh, how am I going to get to water? How is all this going to work? How am I going to get all the food for the animals? How long do I prepare for? Right? All of those things were not really given to him. But uh, it just reminds me that sometimes God may not give us all the information right at the get-go. But if we follow him through with what he has given to us and then trust him for what is to come, that we'll see his hand at work. In Noah's story, all of a sudden, it was crystal clear. He was right, and civilization was wrong. Uh, it, it took a while, but it became clear. And I know some of, uh, uh, some of Christians today, they want to give up, and they want to quit. But uh, you, you might be trying to live the Christian life, and no one's buying it, no one's believing it. Maybe people keep rejecting you because you won't lower your standards. Maybe folks are leaving you because you won't get involved in what they're doing. And it's hard. But just like Noah, there is coming a day when God will make it inextricably clear where he stands. And if you're walking with God, the truth is this, he's standing with you. If you're walking with God, he is standing with you. Uh, <clears throat> there came a day where all these men realized that Noah's walk with God was the truth and their rebellion against God was a, a lie, but they found it out too late because the floods had come. The Bible declares for us that one day Jesus is coming back. And it says, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be when the Lord returns. We are seeing much of what was going on in the days of Noah right before our eyes. We're seeing the demonic infiltration. We're seeing the compromise of values. We're seeing the rebellion against God, the dismissing of God from the culture. We're seeing those things take place. And the Bible says when you see those things, look up because your redemption is drawing near. And if you're walking with God, it will be crystal clear in that day who was right and who was wrong. It will be crystal clear. So keep walking with God and working for God in faith. Now, I love this last part of our verse in Hebrews. It says this, that he obtained a witness from God, that he had this witness from God. It says this, and became heir of the righteousness, which is by faith. The world found Noah ridiculous. What is this guy building this huge boat? What are you talking about, Noah? They found him ridiculous, but God found him righteous. Why was he made righteous? Because of his faith. 
It tells us in Hebrews, because of his faith, he was made righteous. But that faith was displayed through works. Just as James says, faith without works is dead. Noah was declared righteous. He did not earn his righteousness, but his faith in what God had said was displayed through how he uh, lived and how he worked. The author of Hebrews, he's trying to show his audience that God's plan has always been by grace through faith. Because at this time, uh, there was a form of Judaism that came to believe that you can be pleasing to God by your works, by your own effort, by your own rituals or ceremony or, uh, or other things that are like that. The point of the, that the author of Hebrews is trying to make, though, is that God has never allowed that. He's always accepted people by faith, not by works. Some of them have, may have been thinking this, man, this just have faith in Jesus is a new doctrine. It's so easy. What a wonderful thing. And the book of Hebrews is teaching them, no, 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 this has always been the doctrine. God has always accepted people by faith. The righteous, they live by faith. Look at Abel. Look at Enoch. And look at Noah. He and his family, they were saved because of faith. And they were sealed because of faith. Man, I, this is the part I love. This is the part I love as uh, I was studying. If you look at the instructions given to Noah, he was instructed to seal the boat with pitch, is the word. It says pitch the boat or seal the boat with pitch. Um, that Hebrew word there used for pitch is the root word for the word atonement. It's the root word for the word atonement in, in uh, the Hebrew language. And here's where we see a picture of our atonement. We're, we're saved and sealed for eternity because the blood of Jesus Christ seals the eternal destiny of anyone who comes to God by faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. So, so Jesus then, in our faith in his work, Jesus then becomes our ark of safety. He becomes our ark of safety. And if you've never placed your faith in the work of Christ on the cross for your salvation, I invite you to do that today. Today would be the day of your salvation, that you would come to know him. Uh, if you, you're here with us today and that you've never made that decision, find me after the service. I'd love to show you from the word of God. Uh, maybe someone's uh, watching this later online and you don't know, reach out to us. We would love to show you from the word of God how you can know that you're on your way to heaven to spend eternity with Christ, not because of anything that you have done, but because of the finished work of Jesus Christ and his atonement. <clears throat> Do you, uh, does anybody remember that show, Early Edition? Anybody remember that show? It was a show I watched, uh, I was very young. I think it came out in mid-90s. So I was like five or six watching it with uh, my uh, mom and dad every once in a while when it came on. But if you haven't seen the show, it was about a man who would get tomorrow's newspaper today. He would get tomorrow's newspaper today. So he knew what was going to happen the day before it came because he had the early edition. He could do things to make changes because he knew what was coming tomorrow. What we see in Noah's story is he knew what was coming tomorrow. And what it did was it made him live in light of that today. He knew it was coming tomorrow, so it made him live in light of it today. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you know where this thing is going. We know where this is going. So, so why don't we live in light of that our tomorrow that we know is coming, why don't we live in light of that today so that we might see what he can do with this life and reward us in the next life? Simply because like Noah, we were walking with God 
we saved our family, we condemned the world, and we became heirs or beneficiaries, is what that word heir means. We became beneficiaries of God's righteousness because of our faith. I pray that God would help us, one, as a church collectively, but then also as individuals personally to be known, not for our building or where we meet, or even any of that uh, stuff, programs, as even as we grow. I hope that, that we would not be known for those things, but that people would look at us as a church and look at our lives individually, and that this would be the factor that they know of us. They walk with God, and they, they work for God by faith. They walk with God, and they work for God. They obey God in faith like Noah did. Thank you so much for joining us. A special thanks to those that give generously to our ministry. It's because of you that this ministry is possible. For more information about our ministry, check out our website at wenatchechurch.com. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe, you can share it with your friends, hit the share button or take a screenshot and share it on your social media, and tag us at Wenatchee Church. Thanks again for listening. God bless.